250 for a highball and a buck and a half for a beer. You are stumbling in once again to the Take It All Wrong podcast. I am JD. Joining us again triumphantly uh, is Jeff Rick. Sir, uh, first things first, how are the children? Children are fine. Children are children are always better with uh, when the Gophers win. Oh, I like that. I like that. Jeez. That, maybe that's why I wasn't why I didn't have kids secretly. Uh, in any case, uh, we'll we'll leave that uh, existential discussion for another time. A person who might be interested in that discussion, if we do ever have it, uh, is someone who uh, said last week we only have him on when the Gophers lose. Immediately upon the Gophers winning this week past weekend, I told him we needed him back. It is Mr. Frothy Gopher. Good evening. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's really nice to be here after a win. You're pretty much pot committed to keeping me here until we lose now. So with a little bit of luck, we'll be talking about our chances to uh, win the Big Ten championship game and get to Pasadena about this time next year. Well, consider us held hostage. We we would be more than happy to uh, have you back every week, especially if it means that the Gophers keep winning. But even if it doesn't mean that, we uh, we just enjoy your company. So... Thanks for coming along with us. I want to let everybody know, as per usual, that Taken All Wrong is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Make your first deposit. If you make that deposit after 7 p.m., they will match your deposit dollar for dollar up to $1,000. And if you use the promo code WRONG25, they'll also kick in an additional $25. You could have gone to MyBookie.ag last week. And the Gophers were 10.5-point underdogs. Obviously, uh, they came out and beat Purdue, a Purdue team that was being motivated by saying that the Gophers typically look at them as a win on their schedule. All the Gophers did is come out and not only cover, but beat Purdue by 31 points. Uh, Jeffrick, give me some general thoughts on seeing what this team did to Purdue after what this team had done to them by Illinois the week before. Yeah, I, I don't know what world we're living in. It may, maybe this is heaven. It's sure as heck not Iowa. But, uh, yeah, I, I, it's pretty pretty surprising and shocking and one of those things where we'll, we'll take it. Did not see this coming. Um, I kind of like Frothy's thoughts from last week where you thought, you know, that this might be more like the Ohio State game where we thought maybe it's going to be a little closer than than we thought and a little more competitive, but boy, I did not see forty-one ten coming by any stretch. Right, and uh, Frothy, you did say it um, in the annals of Gopher football. This is a game that the Gophers lose, but lose more closely when, than we think. Um, I would imagine you're happy to be wrong on that one. God, am I ever? It was weird it, at the game. It really felt like. Both teams were trying to do everything they could to blow the game in the first quarter. We had a whole ton of drop passes, and we were able to keep drives alive because Purdue was more or less committing unsportsmanlike conduct penalties throughout the, the middle of until the middle of the, the second quarter. And then it just looked like they quit. It, it really just felt like they were no longer interested in being there. It was cold. It, it was cold. It was one of the colder games at, at, at TCF. 
then the snow started to come down. It was awesome if you were dressed appropriately, which fortunately I think all of us were. They they just didn't really look particularly interested in being out there. And then when the game was over, they just sprinted to the to the tunnel. It was wild, though. I, no, I I never would have expected that we would have won as handily as we did. It was as comprehensive of a victory as I've seen in in years against a, a really a pretty good team. I mean, Purdue's not great. None of the teams in the West are great. But Purdue probably top two or three teams in the West, and we absolutely took it took it to them. So I think we'll get to this in a little bit. But did we just see the one game in the season that where it all comes together and we make that birdie shot despite hitting a one fifteen that keeps us coming back for the next round and the next year? I don't know. It it, it certainly feels good for one week at, at least a year to feel really damn good about the the program. And, and and this is that week, and I guess we'll see if we can sustain it. It was a fun, uh, one of the things that you and I talked a lot about <clears throat> before the game, and it really sounded like it was something that Fleck was trying to get the team to embrace, was we need to stop thinking about these cold weather games, this November snow, whatever November happens to throw at us. We need to stop thinking that it's cold, and we need to start thinking of it as an advantage. Um, you know, obviously Wisconsin is going to play in, in similar temperatures in Iowa and, and Nebraska and what have you. Um, and even Northwestern coming up here is no stranger to the cold, but we need to look at this as an advantage. And I think um, the, the players really seemed to embrace that. They were having as much fun. There was as much enthusiasm as we've seen on the sideline all year and on the field. And uh, just a team that seemed a lot more motivated uh, than we've seen in in, uh, in quite a while, particularly since the previous week at Illinois. We'll talk a little bit about the defense going forward, but we felt pretty good about the offense going into this game, so we'll talk a little bit about that first. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll skip over, I don't, I'm not going to skip over Tanner Morgan, but a fairly pedestrian day, I would say, as far as just a very cold game, probably difficult to throw the ball and, um, you know, any hits or anything uh, you would take. But Morgan threw the ball 18 times, uh, completed 10 passes, 139 yards, had a touchdown um, and an interception. Um, Really the story of the game was the uh, running game. And the Gophers, uh, you know, that have been a little bit more explosive from a passing standpoint previously, found a way. Uh, to come out and score some points and really did it with the running backs. Uh, Mo Ibrahim, 18 rushes for 155 yards as a group. The uh, the Minnesota rushing attack, including Ibrahim, uh, Bryce Williams, and then um, Seth Green and Tanner Morgan, uh, averaged six and a half yards a carry, um, had a couple of touchdowns, so a nice game there. Um, what what do you have to say, Jeffrick, about the uh, the running backs and and what you saw on that side of the ball on Saturday? I mean, the offense really this season has seemed to rely on one thing: is how healthy are your tackles? Um, Danell Green wasn't listed as a starter, but thank God he played. I think, and when when Green and Falele have been your tackles, the offense has been just fine. When not to pick on poor Sam Schluter again, but boy, when he's had to play, whether it was the right side or the left side. 
the offense has struggled because it doesn't matter how good the other four guys are playing. If you've got a, a you know, a matador at the other spot, that's just letting guys run through it. it you know, it's not really going to matter in that point. So having green back, he looked fine. Hopefully he's good to go. Uh, you know, the rest of the season, the, the header concussion issues are past him, but yeah, it's, it's a line that's really come together. The guys are playing well and, and we saw another big game from the backs and, and the game where Tanner Morgan had more time. So overall, yeah, it was it was good to see, and and let's just cross our fingers for good health for those two tackles. Right, Uh, Frothy. I know offensive line play is a big uh, thing that you pay attention to, having having some background there yourself. But um, I I know I've heard you echo Jeffrick's thoughts as far as Donnell Green. But give us some give us some of your takes as far as the offensive line in the uh, running game on Saturday in uh, frigid temperatures. Yeah, and, and I don't necessarily know if it's if it is it, sort of one player makes the whole thing work. I think what we saw ever since Faalele came in at right tackle is you had a unit that was really producing pretty well together. And offensive line is just one of those that they need to operate in unison. They need to all be on the same page in terms of what their reads are um, and quite honestly, you know, having a good understanding about what the guy next to you is, is, is going to be doing because that will dictate how you're going to hit your blocks and when you can move up to the next level if, if that's what your uh, assignment is. And I think when you've got a group of five guys that, that are operating like that, anytime even one of them goes out, it's not necessarily about that player being superior or inferior to anyone else. It's just you disrupt the, the chemistry of that line. And I think that's what we saw against... Illinois is Illinois doesn't have a you know they're not like a rapacious defense or anything by any stretch of the imagination but because there was because green was out the chemistry was gone and it became pretty difficult for the unit to operate as a single thing conversely I think if you look at what we did against Purdue there were a couple of plays where the, the Mo was was stopped at say five yards and then the offensive line would just keep pushing and Mo, bless him, kept his feet going, and it ended up being, I think, like an 11-yard gain or something. And that's just what a good offensive line can do. They can just start trucking people, and you know, you're going to run into elite teams where that's not possible, but a, a, a good, cohesive line that is accustomed to working together. When was the last time we saw it? We've, we've, it feels like for the last 10 years, we've either had you know, just grossly inferior talent on the offensive line, or we consistently had guys getting hurt and we're running a mash unit the the entire time. This, with the exception of the Illinois game, I think we had five consecutive games where we had the same offensive lineman playing, and that is really starting to, to pay dividends. I also, I think Mo Ibrahim has done an extraordinary job this year. I think he's taken some grief by uh, some of the folks over on the 24-7 board where they're more or less just not giving him any credit whatsoever for the performance that he's put in. And, yeah, the offensive line is a lot better this year than it has been in the past, but he is a redshirt freshman, and he is putting up some pretty good numbers for, for a redshirt freshman. He's not blowing anyone away, but he he wasn't really expected to get as many carries as he's got, and I think he's in the, what, the 750-yard range or, or thereabouts, which is pretty good. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's nothing to be ashamed of for a redshirt freshman. So you know, is he the fastest guy on the team? No, he's not the fastest guy on the team. Is he... You know David Cobb in terms of his shiftiness and in his vision. Well, no, but he's also just a freshman. So let, let's give him a break and give him the credit he deserves. Yeah, the line's a lot better, but Mo Ibrahim is putting in the work and deserves every bit of credit that, that, that he should be getting for for what he's done this season. I agree completely. I mean, <clears throat> look, 
You're at this point, if you think of Shannon Brooks and um, Rodney Smith, Ibrahim is at least your third stringer um, at this point. I know coming into this season, a lot of people thought Williams might end up um, sort of being more of the, uh, the uh, after Smith got hurt anyway, being more of the, the workhorse as far as um, the running backs are concerned. But I think we've seen a lot more uh, production from the running back position when Ibrahim has been the guy. Um, you you uh, mentioned his rushing yards, 717 yards on the season um, so far. So averaging just shy of six yards a carry, um, has five touchdowns. So, um, you know, certainly uh, is helping to uh, produce on that offensive side of the ball. Let's go ahead and, uh, and switch the conversation over to uh, the big talking point, which is heading into this game, uh, I can't speak for everybody, but I know at least for myself, after seeing what Purdue did specifically to Ohio State um, and just what they've been able to do from an offensive standpoint this year, certainly there was a lot of concern, and we talked about it last week, You know, just not knowing coming off of the firing of Rob Smith and, and Joe Rossi being put into the position of defensive coordinator what exactly are we going to get with this defense? And uh, my goodness, these guys did uh, absolutely everything that that you could expect um, as far as uh, coming out and playing against a Purdue team that is a little bit scary. I'm going to start with um, Frothy and give us your thoughts as far as sort of what you saw that changed. I know Fleck has talked about the team playing simple and fast. Um, tell us from a scheme standpoint sort of what you saw that changed. Yeah, and, and by no stretch of the imagination uh, should you expect uh, any serious X's and O's talks from me. Go to go to Derek Burns or somebody uh, who is far more knowledgeable about this stuff than I am. He breaks it down as, as, as good as anyone on, on, on the old interwebs. Uh, you know, I guess what I, I'll, I'll sort of start by saying, can you, I wonder if Rob Smith watched this game. Because could you imagine uh, running a running an offense that has uh, must credit uh, white street speed receiver Benjamin Dawson uh, giving up the fourth most and the seventh most uh, yards uh, against on defense in you know a three game stretch um, and then you know you get fired and then the defense plays absolutely lights out. I mean, that must be really hard, that, that knowing that you had that sort of a negative effect on the performance of a, of a, of a squad. I was so that thinking wild, about right? that. That, is, I, that would be unbelievable. It would be hard. I, I would have hit the booze so hard, and probably the quaaludes and everything, too. Just, you know, numb that pain. But uh, on the other hand, he, he probably feels pretty good about it, that the, the, the unit, that maybe he was holding them back, and now it's, you know, everything is better again. I You know, it, it's hard for me to say that, it, what sort of material changes they made. They certainly played around with some different formations where they were running some 3-4 and some 2-4-5, which I think we became accustomed to while uh, while Jay Savell and, and Tracy Clays were, were here. What I saw, the, the, the biggest difference that, that I saw was it was no longer one guy responsible for making the play or it's going to be a 70-yard game. I think going into the game, we all had this concern that Rondale Moore was going to go off for 450 yards and nothing was going to stop him because what we had become accustomed to in the Illinois and the Nebraska game was 
the linebackers are looking into the backfield, get swallowed up in the wash, and the 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 running back runs through the line, and then it's basically you know Huff or, or Howden that are there to make the tackle, and if they don't, then it's a touchdown. And that was truly what I had, had expected to see a dozen times on, on you know, Brahm is, is an offensive genius, and so I figured he would have this broken down in, in no time flat. And what we saw was flowing to the ball, it, just that we hadn't seen all season long. It, it, there were, it, there were, and there was one play in particular, I think, that they swung out to, to, to Moore, and Chris Williamson you know, blocked his guy back. I, you know, I think Burns, uh, Derek Burns pointed this out in, in one of his reviews. It pushed the guy back like five yards, and then there were like three gophers there, uh, you know, with with two more coming in to to make the tackle. And that's what you need against a guy like like Rondale Moore. And so I think whether it's just going back to a scheme that the players were more accustomed to because they've run it over the last few years or taking some of the complexity that was there in terms of watching for their keys and making their reads that allowed them to be able to get to where the ball was going to be as a, as a team. We, we, hear this, we hear this sort of trite phrase, team defense, but that's what this was. This was guys getting to where they needed to be to make plays as a unit as, a, as opposed to, all right, well, let's just situate it so that whoever it is, Antoine Winfield, is there to make the play every time. If you don't have Antoine Winfield, that's going to blow up in your face pretty quickly. So I think it was this, it was whatever, whatever it was that they did. And again, they blitzed a lot more. They played a lot more press on third downs, all of which I think the, the, we as fans had been asking for, for a long time. Um, they did some pretty interesting schemes in, in, in zone blitzes on a few different occasions. Uh, they came, you know, they rushed Terrell Smith off the edge. These were just things that we hadn't seen. And I think it, it completely stymied Purdue's offense. Um, and, and that's good. And now the question is, did we stymie them because we were, we were putting, you know, we were asking them questions that they hadn't been asked before because they just didn't have any tape with Rossi running the defense as opposed to, to Rob Smith. And now is, is that the sort of thing that, that we could sustain going forward? But I think it certainly has given us some hope that you know, we knew that we had some talent on the defense and we just, none of it was, was making any forward progress. You know, now we see great plays by Cashman. We see great plays by Kaufman, um, or Coughlin, excuse me. Um, you know, we've seen great plays by Huff, and you know, we've we've even gotten like Boyd Mafe and 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 whatnot in there. So we're we're starting to see some additional guys step up, which I think is huge. And and now it's just a question of is it sustainable? Right. No, that's a, it's a good breakdown. I think the big kind of takeaway that I've got is not asking the players to do too much and putting them in positions to allow their instincts and their athleticism to actually go make plays is uh, is something that the the kind of the shot in the in the arm that this uh, defense needed just to give you uh, an idea even following this game uh, where the Gophers gave up only 10 points to Purdue um, they are still the uh, as far as the Big 10 is concerned uh, Fifth-rated scoring offense in the conference, uh, second-rated passing offense in the conference, and third-rated total offense. So, um, no small task, I would say, to uh, be able to hold them to ten points. Certainly, an assist from the weather. But Jeffrick, uh, your thoughts on uh, the way the defense played, and uh, and 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 what you saw that just gave you some hope for. The final couple games of the season. 
competence we we saw for the first time all year. We saw, or I guess, really probably since the Fresno State game, we saw competence. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but it did seem like as much as anything, you know, Frothy talked about it, it, just from the things I read and probably the same stuff, you know, with Derek Burns or Daniel House or anyone else that's going to break it down for you. They switched up some coverages. They were actually pressing on third down in their coverage. They weren't just like, here's a 10-yard cushion on third and six. Why don't you just throw a simple out route for a first down? They actually decided to put some some pressure on the receivers and make them work. But a lot of it just seemed to be like, hey, these guys are in the right place, and they're making tackles, which had been a big thing from there. Um, and as a number of people have said as well, Chris Williamson had a big game, and that's a guy we've needed to step up, especially since – uh, Winfield went out hurt. You know, we had to put in Howden, the true freshman. Um, the group that, that needed a guy like Williamson was a transfer from Florida. He's got that SEC speed and pedigree and a guy who had been disappointing. He played really, really well in that game. Frothy talked about the one where he pushed his guy back five yards into the, into the screen. I think it was, uh, you know, to go get one of their receivers on it. But he played well, and if we can have more of that, that would be good. But, yeah. You wonder, was this, Chris, that's a good, there's one, that's a good point too, where you, you know, is, is this just where they didn't have tape on Rossi and you don't know his tendencies and you don't know what he's going to do on third down? Was it, you know, just some, some basic coaching stuff? I, I would love to know what changes he makes because you can't completely overhaul this thing in one week, yet it almost looks like he did. So it, it, impressive overall and good to see. And I'm, I'm excited for the defense for once, which I didn't think I'd be able to say this year. Uh, and I think one of the things for me, uh, you know, that definitely wasn't on tape, at least over the last few weeks, was just any, and Frothy mentioned it, it's just any kind of aggressiveness whatsoever. Just any way to show a different look or, or send some extra people. Um, so that was that was definitely something that, that maybe Purdue wasn't ready for. And again, with an assist from the weather, Frothy mentioned it, it sort of seemed like once they weren't able to do what they expected to do on offense. Purdue sort of shut down. To the team's credit and and the defense's credit, they continued to keep their foot on the gas. And, you know, you mentioned it, Frothy, the, the Gophers sort of did enough to, to get a lead up 13-3 to at halftime. Um, still, obviously, the game was in doubt. But then to talk about that, um, keeping the foot on the gas, what the team does is come out on the first possession after halftime and uh what happens blake cashman goes in strips the ball uh from david blau picks it up and runs it back for a touchdown absolutely setting the tone for that second half scores that touchdown after that purdue went punt minnesota touchdown purdue punt minnesota touchdown purdue turnover on downs minnesota touchdown i mean what that Cashman uh, play did for the team, uh, I don't think can be overstated in the second half. Um, we've talked a little bit about if something like this is sustainable. Again, we've, we've got some, the other teams now have some film on what we might do. Um, I, I'd be curious your thoughts, uh, Frothy. I know we talked a little bit of, uh, previously about linebackers. Um, much better game from the linebackers uh, in this one, I thought. Yeah, I totally agree. And it, Williamson really has been a difference maker or was a difference maker in that game. So, And Keandre Thomas also, we should uh, note him. He was he was doing a, a pretty great job out there as well. 
is it sustainable? Boy, I don't know. I mean, I feel like if we're if we play half as good as we did against Purdue with Northwestern having clinched um, the division title and three of their starting defensive backs out and probably a desire to not get Thorson or, or Bowser hurt. It's, it, I, I feel if we're, if our defense is half as good and our offense manages to hold serve consistently with what they've, what they've done, it, it's a game we should win. Um, Wisconsin, gosh, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> I'm more confident <laughs> about that game now than, than that I, that I was last week, but it, this is such a bipolar trip for the Gophers this year. It, it's really hard to say. I will say, I think if, if the defense is, is half as good as what we've seen, I think there's a good chance that there's a decent chance that we win out and, and win our bowl game. And that, that will be fantastic. And I, I said, I think the first time I was on this year, we're going to have a pretty good idea of what we've got going into 2019 by the end of this season. And I made that comment more oriented around our, our youth on offense, but we don't lose a ton on defense. And I think we've got some young guys that are ready to step in. And I think if the defense can start to click and we win out, if we win out, then I think we're going to be feeling really good going into 2019. But I like our chances this week. Wisconsin, God, it's been 14 years, so it's really hard to pick us to win there. But they lo- they've looked like as much of a dumpster fire as we have on on occasion this year too. So I'm I'm bullish on the defense. I need one more data point. I feel really good about that one, but it turns out that doesn't make for much of a predictive variable. So let's see what happens. But I'm 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 as optimistic about the team now as I have been all season. It was funny before this game we were talking, and and I made the comment that. Uh, of Purdue, Northwestern, and Wisconsin, I thought maybe Wisconsin was our best opportunity to get a win before the end of the season. Obviously did not see uh, what happened against Purdue um, happening, but uh, but definitely happy to be wrong on that one. Uh, well, gentlemen, I think uh, we can wrap it up as far as Purdue. Uh, the Purdue game is concerned. Um, we've got a lot of things to... Uh, potentially look forward to uh we'll be back uh shortly here to talk with west coast jake about things on the hard court before jeffrick and i come back to look ahead to the northwestern game you are listening to taking all wrong Taking all wrong, coming back at you. We're going to head to the hardwood now. We've got West Coast Jake back with us. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, JD. Uh, college basketball is back in full force. So I've got the Illinois game on one screen. Just watched Georgia Temple wrap up on another screen. I'm living the dream over here. Yeah, I actually want to talk to you about that. Uh, I'm a little concerned about your mental health. Um, <laughs> I know you watched the Wisconsin game and... Uh, became quite frustrated. Uh, anything you want to get off your chest? Yeah, you know, I I got a lot of it off my chest on on my Twitter account. But you know, I think first of all, it's frustrating to me when Wisconsin does well because I I hate their team and everything about the school. Um, but at least if they're going to win, they could not 
um, make a complete abomination of the game of basketball with all these uh, flops and whining and falling all over the place. And, and the fact that referees are falling for it just drives me nuts. So, you know what, Badgers, if you're going to win, if you're going to have a decent season, at, at least do it in a way that, that doesn't make a mockery of the game of basketball, please. We'll all be better for it. Well, there are people that would probably argue that they've been making a mockery of the game of basketball, or at least up-tempo basketball for many years. Uh, but we'll move on from that. This is a, a gopher podcast, after all, so we won't focus too much energy on the Badgers. Um, but I did want to talk with you, obviously, about basketball. Um, since we've talked last, the Gophers have played two real games um, versus Omaha and Utah. And uh, two victories for the Gophers, uh, winning um, over Omaha convincingly, 104-76. to And then um, the game against Utah last night, as you're hearing this, that um, I would say they won comfortably. There were a couple of moments where um, they probably let a few things slip through their hands, but uh, but did end up winning 78-69. to um, 69. W- What were your thoughts uh, after the first two games, Jake? So I'll start by saying, in a lot of ways, uh, we are who we thought we were through two games, and, and I mean that in a positive way. So Jordan Murphy's gobbling up double-doubles, um, Amir Coffey is great at taking the ball to the rack and is a calm, steady presence on the court. McBrayer is clearly healthy, has some lift on his shot again, is is a bit quicker with that first step to the basket. So the stuff we knew we had or, or hoped we had healthy in some cases coming back has checked out, and, and that's great to see. But the couple things I'll add on top of that, um, one is just the the team defense and defensive effort. Now, early in the season, you're going to have some some breakdown, some backdoors, some lacking help defense. But overall, for the first couple games, especially starting a couple freshmen and, and playing a third guy quite a few minutes, uh, they've looked really good on, on that end of the ball for the most part. So that's very encouraging. And then somewhat tied in with that, I think, is just the energy level and the enthusiasm. I know based on reading Coach Patino's blogs, he's actually grading them out on that this year and putting some extra emphasis or renewed emphasis on that, which is great. Um, and I, I can't tell who's leading the charge, which I think is great. If it's a matter of junior and senior leaders stepping up and providing more energy and motivation or the young guys coming in so focused and wanting to work hard, and you can already tell that that has the potential to be a really special class and sort of challenging the veterans to to up their game but i think early in the season there are signs of everyone feeding off of each other in a very positive way uh which is great to see from the perspective of effort intensity help defense ball movement on offense one of those things that's that's hard to measure but we've seen really encouraging signs through a couple games absolutely and and uh i did not get a chance to see the omaha game myself but um, did watch them play Utah last night, and um, like you said, definitely encouraging things to see. Um, interesting kind of to um, to talk a little bit about the youth of the team. We've talked about this, uh, I guess it's been several weeks ago now. You know, I was told Richard Patino has been doing a poor job recruiting Minnesota, but last night as I was watching the game, I was mentioning to you before we started recording that one of the things that really, I don't know if it caught me off guard, but I was struck by it was just 
We had three true freshmen playing last night, getting a, a lot of playing time. And those three guys were all from Minnesota. So so what gives with Minnesota recruiting, or do you think that plays out the rest of the season? Yeah, d- definitely. I mean, 2018 was clearly an outstanding class for, for recruiting the state of Minnesota. You got three very clear, high major caliber players. You've got two guys that are already in the starting lineup, and Daniel Oturu, who presumably will be the starting center for as long as he's at Minnesota. And then Gabe Kalshuer, who has just uh, lit the nets on fire in the first two games. And then um, Jarvis Omerza brings a, a different dynamic, um, just a pure athlete, incredible bounce. So three great high major players. I think a lot of the complaints recently have been around the class of 2019. And I, I think, you know, barring uh, Matthew Hurt, we are somewhat unlikely to, to sign an in-state guy in 2019. Uh, I would like to point out that we finally got a 2019 commitment tonight. So we are no longer 04 in the 2019 class. Very For nice. those of you fans who thought we would uh, just sign zero players with four open scholarships, that now is, is not happening. Uh, so that, <laughs> that's definitely a good sign. Otherwise, from an in-state perspective, I'd expect Richard Patino to turn right around and uh, go after the 2020 class in Minnesota hard. There's obviously Jalen Suggs at the top of the class, but then you've got uh, Dawson Garcia, Ben Carlson, Dane Danger, uh, Walton from Hopkins. There's there's just a loaded in-state class, and uh, picking up a couple of those guys would make it another really good uh, in-state class, just like 2016 was and just like it, it's looking 2018 was. Well, it's good to hear. I know it's always important for uh, a, such a provincial group like Minnesotans to to know that we're doing well with local recruits, and I think Minnesota puts out some some pretty pretty good uh, high school recruits from a basketball standpoint. That uh, you know, if you can hang on to some of those, obviously, what we saw last night and hope to see the rest of the season. Um, that's a, that's a good thing. You mentioned um, Oturu and uh, and uh, probably playing center the rest of his career at Minnesota. Uh, man, last night, um, you know, death, taxes, go for big men getting into foul trouble. What is what is the deal with that? Uh, Murphy in foul trouble early. Oturu even in foul trouble early. Um, so, so didn't get the chance to really utilize those guys as much as we'd want to. But what is what, what gives with our big men and in getting into foul trouble? <laughs> so... Uh, last night, I think it was a combination of uh, some youthful slash early season, just stupid mistakes. So things like dribbling into an offensive foul when you're sort of getting double teamed or, or reaching over the back. I know Oturu and Mots each had a pretty bad one where you're just sort of going over the guy's head to try and uh, tip away a post entry. And whether you get the guy or not, that's probably going to be a foul 90% of the time. Um, I, I wasn't in love with the refereeing in last night's game. I don't know if you agreed or disagreed, but that's not to say that they were biased for Utah or against Minnesota, but it's to say that I, I think they lost the plot a little bit in terms of blowing the whistles too much. Um, they lost me a little bit at the end of the first half when two guys were fighting for a rebound and they called a double foul giving a foul to to a Utah guy and a Minnesota guy when it didn't impact the play at all. So I'm in favor of letting more stuff go than less, and the amount of whistles that were blown overall last night contributed to that a little bit. But 
Yeah, our our guys have to be smart and careful and avoid those dumb reaching falls or offensive falls, particularly while Curry's still working to get back healthy and we have a little bit less depth in the front court there. It seems like it can only go two ways with referees early in the season. Either they call really tight games and you end up with a lot of players in foul trouble early like last night, or they let it go a little bit too loose and have to kind of rein it back at some point. So I think that's something I know that in the Big Ten we get frustrated about is just the consistency of um, the referees. So I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. There was uh, We didn't talk about this off air, but there was discussion during the broadcast last night about uh, uh, hook and pull, some new foul that is coming into play this year. Do you know anything about that? Uh, I only know the bare minimum about that. Uh, I do know, I've heard on a couple broadcasts now, that uh, this is going to be a point of emphasis this year, uh, the the hook foul. So if you're, I think it's largely when you're boxing out or going for a rebound, when you sort of swing your elbow around into the guy to try and uh, get around him, think like a, a chicken wing move when you have the ball and you're trying to, to get past the guy on the way to the, to the hoop, but in a rebounding context... Uh, that's a point of emphasis, and I believe they can now review that for a flagrant foul. So uh, in, in things that were good for my mental health this evening, uh, Ethan Happ actually was called for that in the first half of the Xavier-Wisconsin game. Um, got, got Got the hook call. Uh, four, four years of doing it, gets caught once. It's a little like the guy who speeds going to work every day. He'll probably eat the one ticket every four years or so. Um, but he did get called for the flagrant fall. So it looks like at least early in the season, they're they're putting some emphasis on that hook and on not sort of, I, I think the goal is to avoid getting the arm around guys and ending up having them thrown to the ground while two guys are fighting for a rebound. So it's it's a player safety thing. I don't think it'll impact it too much. Maybe you'll see it once every handful of games or so, but something to look out for when you're battling for those rebounds. Right. Okay. So I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. I just uh, it occurred to me when we were we were talking about refs. So, um, but good explanation. So uh, we were talking, uh, or you were talking a little bit about the big men and um, foul trouble and um, some of those kind of things. Um, I. I'm I'm struggling and just again watching one game small sample size. I don't understand Matt Stockman uh, transfer from Louisville, um, which you would think is just going to be a good player. Um, I don't understand what type of player he's supposed to be. He's very lean, very tall. Um, I just uh, tell me what we're supposed to have in him or what role he should play on this team (laughs) so i spent some time thinking about this after we chatted off air and i i think he's bizarro bizarro bakari kanate because everything he does really well kanate did very poorly and everything he struggles at kanate did really well so after four years of watching a backup center that you knew would play hard pick and roll defense um, go after boards real hard, uh, although maybe let them bounce off his hands, set great screens, but not be able to catch passes, questionable finishing if they're not dunks, um, and no sort of finesse or touch. 
we now have a guy who's the same size but does everything the exact opposite. So he's not going to be banging real hard down low. He'll get a decent amount of rebounds because his size, but he's not going to be out muscling guys in the paint. Um, but he has surprisingly good soft touch around the basket. He has really soft hands in the Omaha game. Washington uh, fired a couple hard passes his way. Very good passes, but but tough to handle. And Mott's took him with ease and took him up and finished him. Uh, those would be through BK's hands and into a fan's face probably last year. Um, so I think him playing with Isaiah has potential to work out really well. I think we'll see some nice uh, catch, collect, and finish from him at the rim. But we'll probably be also frustrated at times if he comes down with a rebound and gets it knocked out of his hands or gets out fought on the glass. And, you know, I'm sure that's something Coach Patino will be drilling with him all year long. The aggressiveness, the the sort of uh, passion and drive that he'll need to just be a bulldog and get after it, get a nose for the ball to really succeed in the Big Ten. And that's something you can work on. That's something you can improve. It's just clearly sort of not his mentality and not the way he's played the game to date. What do you? I mean, he sat out a year last year, almost left the team in the off season. How do you think that sitting out a year plays into what you see from him early on? I mean, there were a couple times last night where there was just kind of dumb fouls, and and you know he goes over the back trying to trying to uh, get a tip a ball and some of those kind of things that. You know, I think with maybe a little more game experience, he he doesn't do. Do you think that sitting out a year kind of affects that at least early in the season? I definitely think there's there's a lot of times some rust early in the season, and it takes some time to get back up to to game speed. And so I think that you know that certainly has an impact, and that's probably been part of it. Um, he spent the first portion of last year practicing against Reggie Lynch who was not known for avoiding fall trouble in his own right. Um, so I would imagine they probably had plenty of back and forth and let some stuff go in practice that probably doesn't fly in the games. And I, I think that's a common theme of when you've been sitting out for a year. In practice, the goal is to toughen guys up, to let stuff go, to keep momentum going and not to be blowing the whistle the whole time. And so he's probably used to fewer calls, fewer whistles than what he's seen through the first two games. But again, with him, it's not like he's hacking guys across the arm four or five times a game. And so it's just a matter of getting his positioning down and avoiding the the reaches or I'll call them bad falls. Um, As a big guy, you're going to have a couple of games where you have to hack someone or you're going for a block and you get some arm. And so the goal is to use the falls on those and not use them on reaches, on offensive falls, on stuff out at the perimeter so that you can, you know, make productive use of your falls and not have to find yourself on the bench and fall trouble. All right. So I, I will, I will reserve judgment on Matt's right now. Uh, we'll, we'll give him some time to uh, grow into his role and uh, maybe, uh, maybe grow back into his body or something like that. But I do want to take a minute and look forward. Uh, the Gophers have coming up the Vancouver showcase um, uh, in Vancouver uh, where they will play three games in four days. Um, those games uh, will be against the Texas A&M Aggies, uh, followed by, sorry, I just lost it here. Is it Santa yep, Clara? Santa Clara. Okay. Yep. Um, Santa Clara and then Washington. So Sunday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week. So, um, you know, early season here, uh, 
Gophers really taking on some pretty good non-conference opponents. Utah, obviously a uh, uh, better than we've often seen early in the season. Texas A&M, at, at least a name that you, you're familiar with. Washington um, coming up later in the month, uh, Boston College uh, and Oklahoma State. But this Vancouver showcase uh, coming up, uh, what do you think there? Uh, starting out with Texas A&M, then Santa Clara and Washington. I know Washington uh, looks pretty decent or is supposed to be pretty decent this year, but uh, what do you think heading into that uh, showcase for the Gophers? It'll be a good early season test. I am always a little bit nervous when freshmen or first-time players on the team head off to their first road trip, and so uh, three games, neutral site, will definitely be a good test for the young guys and, and for the cohesiveness of the team, and uh, not just from the perspective of the travel, but as you mentioned, they're playing some real solid teams too. So Santa Clara is probably in the same caliber as like an Omaha should definitely expect to win that game. Uh, the other two, I think if we split the other two and, and go two and one up in Vancouver, we should feel okay. Uh, Texas A&M had a real good team last year, lost a lot. And so if it were January or February on a neutral court, sort of isolated from everything else, I'd say uh, I, I'd expect a win in the single digits. But early in the season, very first road trip, it's like a 9.30 p.m. Central game on a Sunday night. Uh, you know, just a lot of factors that aren't excuses. Both teams are dealing with them, but uh, just make it a little bit tougher game to call. And then I'd probably have us as as underdogs in the Washington game. They were... I think ranked 25th in the in the first week poll, and then they lost by quite a bit to a very good Auburn team. So I think they're out of the polls now. Uh, but really solid Washington squad. They're returning the Defensive Player of the Year for the Pac-12. And while I'm terrible at geography, I do know enough to know that uh, Washington's a lot closer to Vancouver than Minnesota is. So I think that it will be a even though it's a neutral game, it'll be a pretty partisan. Washington crowd in all likelihood, so I'd expect that to be a, a tough game. If if we go three and zero, I'll be extremely excited. But uh, two and one would be a successful trip in my mind up to Vancouver. Well, we won't consult the maps uh, while we're on the conversation here. We'll leave that up to the listeners if they want to check into your geography at all. But uh, good, uh, definitely a good preview of what's coming up in the Vancouver showcase to chat round ball with you again and uh, I'm sure we'll have you on down the road Jake sounds great always a good time thanks for having me JD you bet taking all wrong we'll be right back Happy hour is not quite over. We're welcoming you back to Take It All Wrong. We're going to go ahead and start looking ahead to this weekend against Northwestern, where the Gophers are at this point. About a three-point underdog, if you're interested in uh, placing a friendly wager on the Gophers, or if you like Northwestern or any other college football game. You can go to mybookie.ag. Remember to use the promo code WRONG25. Have your first deposit match dollar for dollar plus a $25 bonus. 
That's mybookie.ag. Use the promo code WRONG25. Jeffrick, uh, heading into this one, expecting very similar weather to last Saturday. Very cold. Uh, I think there's a potential for a little bit of snow. Uh, We saw what we thought might have been how that affected Purdue. Um, Sort of uh, gave up early in the game. Northwestern as a three-point favorite coming into this one. Interesting um, sort of intangible coming into this game is that Northwestern has already clinched with two games left in the regular season. The Western Division title. Um, They are the very definition of having nothing to play for. And they're coming into butt-ass cold Minneapolis to play an 11 a.m. game against the Gophers. So Northwestern by three with those parameters that I just laid out. Your thoughts? I don't know how anyone has an idea of what to expect for this game. After how Minnesota played last week, um, and frankly how Northwestern has played, I I know Bill Connolly's S&P Plus has, has been under some scrutiny as far as what kind of a predictor it is, but... Uh, he had an article today on SBNation.com t- talking about how this might be Pat Fitzgerald's worst Northwestern team in seven years. That by the numbers, uh, especially offensively, they don't look like they should be very good. And yet, they clinched the division with two games to go in the season. Um, just a strange, strange year. What a weird division this has been this year, too, hey? I mean, just up and down. Um, Wisconsin was the greatest team in the history of the world, and they've lost four times already. Um, you know, Iowa had their shot. It was so sad to see them lose. Um, Northwestern kind of sneaks up on it and, and, and takes it. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I know uh, Fitzgerald had his press conference today, and they were talking about they take it week by week, and we just want to be one to know, and we're not looking overlooking anything, and I believe them, but... As you said, it it's going to be cold. They've got the division locked up. Minnesota's got a little bit of hop in the step now after the way they played last week. Um, it's going to it's going to be an interesting one. Well, and <clears throat> Northwestern, it's such a strange season for them because you know they're they're six and four. Um, they're three of their four losses are their non conference games. They're zero and three in the non conference now. They played Notre Dame, um, yeah. and and they lost that game by ten points. They they held pretty pretty tight there. Same thing with Michigan, fourteenth ranked team in the country, um, lost by three points, and then lost to Akron somehow. Uh, I'm sorry, Michigan was not a non conference game. Lost to Akron and lost to Duke. Um, so lost those uh, three non conference games, and, and then lose to Michigan. Other than that. Beat Purdue uh, in the opener. Uh, beat Michigan State, Nebraska, Rutgers. Um, handled how, Wisconsin. How much did they beat Rutgers by again? Was it three? It was three. They well, that won. is that's one of the most baffling. Just so strange. So no, Rutgers has been awful. I mean, yeah. really, truly awful. Such a weird game. Yeah. And and so yeah, they beat Rutgers eighteen to fifteen. Um, and then this past weekend, uh, they beat Iowa 14 to 10. So, you know, certainly they've they've taken care of business, uh, lost three in a row after starting the season, beating Purdue, then reeled off four, lost to a very good Notre Dame team, has now beaten Iowa. 
um, clinches the division. Um, like you said, Wisconsin obviously is down from, from what we expected there. Um, Northwestern um, obviously beating Iowa. Nebraska is not, uh, is not great this year, certainly not contending for the division. Um, and now they come to Minnesota with, with, like I said, really nothing to play for. And, and, and I mentioned this before we started recording here. Uh, it At least the last two years, uh, probably the last three years, and sometimes it feels like the last 20 years, um, it, it, this is just another gopher game that we go into where you say, I don't know what to expect. Yeah. And sometimes it's us and sometimes it's the other team. I know we had a, a conversation earlier in the year about Maryland and we even talked to uh, a Maryland writer that said he didn't know what to expect. Graham Barry. Um, those guys ended up coming out and beating the, beating the gophers up. Um, so, so really tough to know what to think, but with the intangibles that, that this game present, um, if I was a betting man, and as far as you know, I'm not. Um, I think that I think that minus three line would be interesting, um, and I think the cold is is really an interesting factor here. Um, we we talked a bit about it with uh, Frothy Gopher as far as the defensive side of the ball. Um, I don't know what to make of uh, what we can do from a defensive standpoint. Uh, against a, a, a team like Northwestern, and it's not like they've set the world on fire from an offensive standpoint. No, it, it's been a very average, even a below average offense in a lot of ways. I mean, right. Thorson's a solid quarterback. I loved all the preseason talk about him being an NFL draft pick. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but yeah, they, they've had a it just has not been a great year for them offensively. But, I mean, you read off the scores and the games. They've just had all these close games that have just found ways to win. And, I mean, credit Fitzgerald and his staff for doing that and putting those guys in those positions. But it's not a team. I, I got to think every every team they played this year and their fan base likes we're doing looks at them and says, we can beat Northwestern. Look what they did the week before. Look what they did here. Look right. what they did in the non-conference. And yet they keep finding ways to win. Um I gotta be, you know, I I like our chances. I I think, God, I'm gonna jinx it by saying this. I think the days of giving up 600 plus or 700 plus and 50 plus points are hopefully done for the rest of the year. That I think some of the things they weren't doing um, shouldn't happen again. The guy, we we should have at least some competent defensive play here, which should say that we can keep a keep ourselves in this game. And as I said, if if Green and Falele are healthy. I think the offense will be just fine, and I think they're going to be able to hang in there and score some points and and try and make this one interesting. Yeah, coming into this one, uh, Northwestern, fifth-ranked passing offense. And and look, I know these stats that I'm throwing out aren't the advanced stats or anything like that, but but I think it is interesting to look at just maybe from a a macro standpoint. Fifth-rated passing offense – in the conference um total offense 12th scoring offense 12th rushing offense dead last in the league northwestern so um you know uh, how they've gotten to this point really they've taken advantage of a weak western division uh number one um but i i think heading into this game 
where it's going to be very cold, and I think the Gophers proved it last week to put up points, you need to be able to run the ball. Northwestern has not had a good year doing that, and um, hopefully that is an advantage for us. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts, Jeff, Rick. I didn't get a chance to, to chat with you last week, but um, following the uh, the first game of Joe Rossi taking over for uh, Rob Smith, which actually I believe it's the third time that he has uh, followed up a, a Rob Smith vacancy as, a, as an interim defensive coordinator. That's um, do you have any other uh, any other names that that you sort of would keep an eye on for this job, or or I mean, maybe after this game, it's Rossi's job to lose. I don't know. If, listen, if he keeps this up, I I think you could do worse. Um, it, it, listen, if he has a good game against Purdue and they finish at least you know competitive and, and finish strong against Northwestern and Wisconsin, he's got a he's got an argument to be made that he's there because I, I think the other guys you're going to look at. Look, we don't want to go, I, at least I don't, I don't want to go the retread route again. I don't want the fired defensive coordinator from the bigger school coming here and thinking, oh, he just had a bad, like, right? We, we did that with Rob Smith. We don't want that. You want either the up-and-comer. Um, I know, listening to you guys on the pod last week and a few other places, um, you know, there, there's some group of five coordinators out there at some different schools you can look at. But um, I, I think that's the kind of thing Fleck is looking at. But look, he's already got Rossi in house. He's he's you know it seems to have good rapport with the guys. Let's see how he finishes out. And maybe naming him as the permanent guy at the end of the year wouldn't be a bad thing. But at the same time, we've got two more games um, at least. And God, let's hope they get one of these for a win, and and we'll get a third one to really get an idea of what he can do. Yeah, I I didn't. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I think definitely coming into this after the firing of Rob Smith. My thought was, uh, if we end up with Rossi, we're maybe we're settling. And I, I definitely agree with you. I don't think PJ is going to go the retread route. He's probably no. not going to. I think it would be difficult to find a coach who's sort of Rob Smith. Maybe was the exception to this, but who's been around, who would come in and sort of quote unquote tolerate his his culture it's it's definitely not for everybody so i i I agree with you that uh, an up-and-coming coordinator or um a position coach at at a uh, a big-time program or something like that would probably be more realistic but i don't i mean at this point for me all bets are off the way that defense can I give you my my biggest fear? Yeah, I don't think I don't think it'll happen. But here's the one that 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 gives me nightmares. Shiano gets fired at Ohio State, and oh, uh, his mentor comes here. Come I, it, oh my God! It's got to be done with Shiano, guys, doesn't he? You hope so. You would hope so after this, but that's the one where I'm like, oh, that's his man, you know, all this other stuff. But yeah, let's 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 hope that one doesn't come to pass. Right, right. I mean, it's. There's definitely been some some uh, some interesting names thrown out there that, that we don't have to talk about. But um, at least we're, we don't have a vacancy. We're not looking at less miles like Kansas is. We could be there. Thank God we didn't. Well, I mean, speaking of the team we just beat, Purdue. Jeff Brome is like number one in the clubhouse. Speaking of which, as far as going to Louisville right now with Petrino yep. getting getting fired, but. Uh, yep. And and somebody suggested I don't remember where I saw it, but 
suggested, oh, please, Purdue, hire less miles. So, I mean, it, this is the time of year, right, where this weird stuff goes down. Yep, and, totally. uh, and And the dominoes start to fall. So it'll definitely be interesting. If, uh, if Brome was coaching for that job this last Saturday, uh, it, it wasn't great. Uh, for them, I don't know. I I saw maybe it was a meme that somebody made up, but I saw a picture of Brome kind of doing a pregame speech and actually saying, uh, "When Minnesota sees this game on their schedule, they mark it as a win. What do you want to do about it?" And then somebody in the background with a bubble above their head saying, "We're going to go out and lose by 31." Now, <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if that was just something that somebody made up or if Brome actually said that. Um, yeah, before the game, but um, anyways, we we've uh, we've rehashed Purdue plenty. I I think um, I, I don't know, Jeff. I'm I'm excited uh, to go stand in the cold again this week. Uh, this is a uh, you know, there's a little bit of life again. Uh, this is the this is the the ups and downs, the teeter totter of being a Gopher fan. It yeah. was uh, it was uh, slammed into the ground against Nebraska. Little bit of life against uh, Indiana, slammed into the ground against uh, Illinois, and then come back and uh, and beat the crap out of uh, Purdue, um, and really make uh, Dan Barrero unhappy. So uh, um, you know who knows? Uh, this team suddenly feels like, with the circumstances in front of us, uh, that we have a chance to make a bowl game. I think having that that extra opportunity to coach this young team on the offensive side of the ball for a a month going into a bowl game and having that on the resume from a recruiting standpoint, bringing in recruits for that early signing period while we're actually practicing for a bowl game uh, would be massive. Um, So I, I absolutely hope they go out and uh, take advantage of that this week. Uh, Any, any other thoughts as we head into uh, the, the final couple of games of the season here, Jeff? Nice to have hope again. I, I don't like the way you explained the last three or four games, though, because it certainly has been an up-and-down affair, which means this Northwestern game might just kill us. But um, I, I, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, which is probably the worst thing you can possibly be at this point um, for for how the season finishes out. But I, I, I like that. I mean, it was a strong showing across the board. Um, you know what's crazy, too, is, I mean, we might have a quarterback controversy at some point, and I don't even care. Like, we'll, we'll figure that out after the season. It's fine. You know, let, let's let's get Tanner Morgan, I think, has done enough to keep the job for now. It, there's just so much else going on, and I think so much else to be excited about that it's been a, a, certainly a nice turnaround from how we were feeling just a week ago after the Illinois debacle. Yeah, I, no, I agree. It's uh, the hope. Hope springs eternal, right? We still got hope. It's... Uh... It'll be interesting to see what happens. Or, I mean, who knows? We we could be crushed again. But uh, uh, for the moment, it definitely feels good to uh, to have something to look forward to this week. Do you want to throw out a prediction, Jeff? Uh, I'm it, at this point. Why the hell not? Let's say twenty-eight, twenty-four, Minnesota. I like that. I like that. That would be a cover for the Gophers. Cold weather game, man. I, that's it's probably going to be like an eleven nine game or yeah, something. I don't know. I Either just with, with as low scoring as some of Northwestern's has been, but who yeah. knows? Um, I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say twenty four twenty Gophers. I'm 
I don't know. I might regret that, but uh, no, but that's no, no. what I'm going with this week. So if you're if you're keeping track at home, Jeff and I have both uh, predicted a go for win um, and a go for cover, uh, obviously because of the win. So uh, you know, go out and place your bets at mybookie.ag promo code wrong twenty five. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it for us. Clink them and drink them. You don't got to go home, but you can't stay here. Uh, that's going to do it for another week of Taking All Wrong. As always, we appreciate you listening uh, and do appreciate anything that you can do to spread the word as far as Taking All Wrong. This is our only medium, so uh, if you can help us out with retweeting, sharing it with your friends, email it around, uh, whatever you can do, we, we absolutely appreciate it. And it helps uh, when you share the show with your friends. Uh, If you do listen to the podcast on iTunes, if you could take a quick moment to give us a rating, that also helps us out. Uh, So uh, to wrap another week up for Frothy Gopher and for Jeffrick, I am J.D. Mill. Jeffrick, take us out. Stay classy. Go Gophers. Row the boat. Skyuma. Skyuma.